0: Thank you for joining us on the MS and Sex Podcast. We affirm that people with multiple sclerosis are radically sexy simply by rejecting the negative messages that we get from our culture. On the podcast and in our classes, we learn how to improve the quality of our lives. And while we're at it, we inspire non-disabled folk too. So get ready. Don't flinch. This month, I'm grateful to be able to share my conversation with Ken and Jolie Hamilton. Jolie is a researcher, a certified sex educator, and a relationship coach. Ken is her primary partner who happens to have MS. They were previously an engineer and software developer, but now they co-host a podcast with Jolie called Project Relationship. I highly recommend that you tune into their show. There will be a link in the episode notes. You will get to hear this couple talk about sexuality, polyamory, kink, and just the messiness of relationships and family. Together, they often process issues just right during their show, and this is a great gift. I mean, how many of us grew up lacking someone to model this kind of healthy communication? Raise your hands. I've broken the interview into two parts, but I want you to listen to both. In part one, we talk a lot about that surreal experience of diagnosis and how they each processed it. And as we all know, an MS diagnosis is given to families, not just individuals. And we each deal with this shock differently. In part two, Jolie and Ken dive into more detail about how MS has been a part of the evolution of their sexual connection. Now this section is so juicy, so make sure you listen to this one as well. Then on the 20th of July at 5 p.m. Pacific time, they will both join us for a live Q&A. This is such a treat. They are fabulously warm people, and you will get a chance to talk with them yourselves. So, So many of the things that we talk about in this interview are issues that I continue to work on in my relationship. And that's what I love about the Q&A's. They give us all a chance to have a live in-person conversation where we can each share our perspectives and experiences, you know, like we're just sitting around the living room together. So take a look in the episode notes or go to the website and you'll find a detailed description of the topics we cover in part one and two. Okay, let's dive in. Ken and Jolie, thank you so much for joining me on the MS and Sex podcast. I'm really grateful that you've taken the time today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, always happy
1: to talk to you, Kara. And this is a this is a great topic. It's like I love I love that you're taking this direction. It's a really important conversation, set of conversations to have.
0: Yeah, it is. I, I think so too. I think it's complex, much more complex than people expect. Aspect, right you know um yeah so um i want to to start maybe just by uh telling folks your preferred gender pronouns and then somebody tell me when you met and how long you have been primary partners all
2: right, right um well um, my gender pronouns are he and them they and either one whatever um and
1: Mine or she, she her. her. I, I, I'm fairly simple, straightforward, cisgender woman.
2: I used to he be they is simple. He is more
1: gender expanded yeah. expansive than I am.
2: <laughs> and uh, we met early on.
1: <laughs> I, was a, I was an infant when we met. So yeah. he's almost 10 years older than I am. And we would have met, we figure we pieced it together, and we would have met probably at the latest when I was about, seven, seven to eight months old. Yeah. So well, it's been a while, <laughs> but we've only been primary partners for, um, just almost 13 years. Yep. Um, and it's a complicated story involving divorces and polyamory and all sorts of complicated things, but many,
2: many complications,
1: and but we've known growth. each other yep. for decades. So there's also all this friendship history and yeah.
0: Really, your, your conversations about the beginnings of your relationship are are, are really uh, helpful and important. Mm-hmm. So go back and listen to those, because that's, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's just a, a nutshell version. Exactly. Yeah, that is very. It's the
1: nutshell, and everybody's not once you crack it. There's something in there to, to
0: learn <laughs> yeah. from, right? Right, <laughs> right. right. So um, because my podcast focuses on folks' sexuality for folks with MS and other kind of chronic conditions, Uh, Ken, I'm really grateful that you are here because I understand that you have MS and I was wondering if you would uh, first talk about what year you were diagnosed and what was your first symptom.
2: Sure. Um, So my diagnosis was in 2013 um, and it was one month after we got married. So uh, that was a, that was, that was. An interesting experience right there, but, um, and my first symptom was optic neuritis and I didn't, I I had, in retrospect, I had had it coming and going for at least a year, um, because we owned a gym and when I would, when I would like go outside and sprint, particularly if it was hot out, I'd come back in and notice that, it was sort of dark um out of one of my eyes and i just thought it was some you know weird oh look i'm i'm running really hard and um so i didn't think too much about it because it wasn't didn't cause any particular problems but then in uh, leading up to the wedding i started to not be able to really see right out of my right eye so that was an absolute something I had never heard of before a symptom that I've never heard of I had never heard described so I went to the doctor and I thought this was pretty interesting I went to my primary care physician and she looked at me and said well it looks like you have optic neuritis have you had any you know you know blunt Blunt impacts to your head or anything like that. I was like, no, I don't think so. She, and she said, and I thought this was brilliant. Well, I don't think it's MS, but I'm going to send you to a neurologist. <laughs> that being like the only other thing optic neuritis apparently comes from. So, But it was an interesting way to introduce it to me. And then I went to the neurologist and he, uh, he took uh, an MRI and then um, yeah, diagnosed me and that that diagnosis came one one month to the day to the i day think after, after our, wedding. our wedding yeah and i felt that i had many feelings about that i've always been particularly healthy and strong and robust and now you marry me and all of a sudden there's a thing going on
1: i i'm an anti-good luck charm no it, it can voice something during that time when we were waiting for a diagnosis, there was like a little, just a little window of time that I think sums it up really well. And he said, I'm afraid this was like bait and switch. Exactly. Like here I was, I'm 10 years older than you. And you know, so you would, you were already, you know, committing to someone who might have trouble before you, but now what is this and what will it mean? And there were a lot of tears during that.
2: That first month after the diagnosis was a lot of talking and crying and
1: not understanding like because you can't absorb all the information you need to understand the condition and i had some exposure to it already and he didn't so i my grandmother had ms so i had already watched and i'd done caretaking for her and i but i but she would had primary progressive so it was very different trajectory so there was a lot of confusion in the room
2: yeah a lot a lot and as you say i had no experience with anyone who had ms
0: yeah I'm glad you talked about that I want to go a little bit more into see if you talk a little bit more about the detail because for me and my diagnosis it's interesting uh, for one thing uh, my very first symptom was optic neuritis but it happened a year before I was diagnosed and then I had a, a, a totally different symptom that I was actually diagnosed on but the whole optic neuritis thing I think is, it's interesting. I guess it's fairly common for a first symptom. And you don't really know. Like, I remember you, you were talking about, oh, I just thought, you know, it's so subtle. You're like, what? Uh, what, what is that in my eye? You know, he kept he, he
1: kept coming back. So I was his trainer and he was my trainer because we owned this gym together. And he kept coming back mm-hmm. from runs or coming coming off of a rowing machine or, or lifting. He, And he would describe, like, everything in the room looks kind of like the blues look red and like things look things look weird. And he kept saying that, um, but it was crossfit. Like you were exerting yourself way past what was reasonable. And so we, we just just kept making excuses and reasons. And I think in part because neither neither one of us really would have wanted to face the idea that, um, that our that we had to deal with something. Like we were already up to our eyeballs in complexity in our relationship. And now there was this physical right. stuff, and the optic neuritis. It turned out was pretty straightforward, but there have been other symptoms that mm-hmm. I don't know whether this. I mean, we just never feel like we know that a physical thing happens. And we're like, yeah, is this the MS?
2: What I what I learned right away, my m- learned my experience right away was everything because because of the chaos of MS symptoms, uh, everything that would happen would be a question. Is this MS? Is this me getting old? Is it something else entirely? You know, am I electrolytes low? I like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. eventually what I did is I, I just sort of internalized the idea that, um, thus far, in my experience, it's, um, this is my experience of getting older.
0: Mm. Uh Interesting. because
2: everybody gets older and their their functionality changes whether their capabilities do or not their functionality changes stuff doesn't do quite what it used to do um, in various directions and and so does it does it matter to me right now as to whether it comes from MS or because I'm getting old what's, what's the mm-hmm. difference and I guess for my own peace of mind what I've been able to do, and I feel privileged to be able to do this, I've been able to uh, experience it as well. It's just part of how I grow older, uh, mm-hmm. because I haven't had any major exacerbations come up.
1: It's which every single... very
2: privileged to have. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Every time things happened, it's been it's been a learning curve of like, what what do we what do we call this together? How do we talk about it? Yeah. I don't know about yep. you, but how, how we talk about it seems to impact a lot of how he deals with the illness yeah. itself. Like how we talk about his injections, how we talk about his, like symptoms, all of it. The words seem to matter. So I've been trying to be mm-hmm. careful to let him language this because yes. he's the one making meaning out of it. He's the one deciding what this means for him.
0: Yeah. If you don't mind, Because this was important for me somehow, I don't know why, but you know, that moment of diagnosis, Mm -hmm. how it, I just have this clarity, this clear memory of that, what I was seeing, what I was feeling, what I was thinking, and that has been an important part of my process. Okay of MS. So I want you both to do that for us, just quickly, kind of even if you need to close your eyes and remember that moment, what was going on with you in that moment and share that with us.
2: Well, um, so I remember the moment sitting in the neurologist office, the same one that I go to every six months or whatever, same guy. Um, And I remember him saying, okay, so, and he put it in a very, like he covered all his bases. He said, so you have these marks on the MRI and you've had optic neuritis, and, and so um, all of that adds up to or, uh, diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. At no time did he say to me, you have MS. He just described how the symptoms required an ms diagnosis and that actually went on for a long time and i'll get back to that but in that moment he he described to me the 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 lesions on my brain or the white spots on the mri of my brain and that's the thing is i had conversations with him and the first one was that day it's like okay so how do those marks correspond to what's going on in my body? Oh, we don't really know. How do those marks correspond with the inflammation in the nerve in my eye? Oh, we don't really know. So everything that they knew about it didn't add up to anything in particular. And as a as a, a scientist, I'm like, okay, so I, I want to see the... The logical progression between what you've seen and like, do we know causality? Is it pure correlation? What's going on? So I had those kinds of conversations with him. And yeah, all up in my head. And um, and so as a result, I I wasn't sure. Like I couldn't pull particular meaning out of it in the moment. Um, and from the discussions we had, I knew that there wasn't anything to do about the symptoms specifically there wasn't medicine for MS symptoms or anything. So now I was just all thinking practically. Um, so, so I remember that moment sitting there with him sitting in front of me and saying these things. Um, and my feelings were of confusion. Like so what does it mean? And he couldn't tell me because no one can.
1: I was having a very different experience. Um, I, when, when we were sitting in that office and the, and the description came, I think I because I had a bigger, I knew some of what it meant.
2: Yeah, you had experience with I had people experience, with MS, but I hadn't. So. I
1: also had a lot of experience, a lot of experience with everyone around me being sick, getting very, very sick. Um, every member of my family has been ill every like so I've spent my life in hospitals and taking care of people and so for me that was very much a a a moment where like the world got small I felt everything get really small we were in this little room with not really enough space to have what it felt like the conversation needed to have and with a doctor who I like we I I like him. I've seen him even for my own brain stuff, but um, there was no feeling. And so I didn't feel held. I just felt the world get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I heard the list of symptoms. And then I started cataloging, like, what else have I seen? What have I been watching this man do my whole life? What have I been seeing that might be? Oh, how long has this been playing out? And then I flip into problem-solving mode almost instantly I skipped right over feelings and into problem solving mode um, which is my mo. So I spent the next month educating myself so that I could educate him because that's what we do in our particular dynamic that is
2: So you know I read six dynamic. books
1: on on MS so I could give him the 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 crib notes on it and mm-hmm. um, I think it was that conversation though that happened I maybe like, In the two days prior, the bait and switch conversation, Mm -hmm. that's where most of the feelings, I think that's the synopsis of feelings is, you felt like it was a bait and switch. And I felt like I couldn't say how terrified I was that I would have to take care of you. And it wasn't really that I was afraid of taking care of you. It's that, well, I've taken care of someone my whole life. I've never not been in a caretaking role um, since I was little, since I was like eight years old. Um, so I, like, I didn't feel like I could voice that. It didn't feel like it It was appropriate. You were the one getting the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So there was a break in our intimacy. There was a, there was a gap there.
2: Because you felt like there was something that you I needed to hold share. it back
1: and you weren't, you hadn't felt enough. It didn't feel like yeah. you had felt enough to really yeah. even have anything to share.
2: I'm not sure mm-hmm. I would have. Responded very usefully to your if you had said that in the time I don't think I was ready to really empathize. Yeah, because I wasn't ready to feel the.
1: It took two months.
2: Concern and feeling. Two
1: two months before I finally vo- voiced those 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 feelings that they were there in the moment of hearing his diagnosis, but I couldn't say them.
0: Right. Yeah. It the process kind of that absorbing that reality. Uh, it, it takes a long time. And sometimes, I guess really, it's almost a lifetime really, because, and especially with, I don't know, I was about to say, especially with something like MS because it's so random and so uh, kind of just um, limit, almost limitless and the kinds of things that can go on. But you know what, like you said, that's the way it is with just getting old. Like, you know, we're all temporarily able-bodied. Right. One of my yeah. favorite favorite phrases: temporarily able bod tabs. <laughs> you know?
1: When you came to that so fast. He like they got there so fast. It was like skipping over um, the feelings uh, came naturally in one way to you because you got very quickly to that spot of like, well, I was I was going to have to deal with this at some point, and meanwhile I was scrambling with. Like, what do I want? What do we have to do? What do, What are the actions to take? And closing the gap of intimacy was to some degree about closing the gap in how we made sense of, yeah,
2: right. of that moment right. Like, and, and mm-hmm. like
1: where we went to, because like you said, the symptoms could be, oh, you know, anything, everything. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. could be major. They could be mild. They could be intermittent mm-hmm. or they could be all the time. And, right. and nobody can tell you anything. And no
2: one can tell you anything.
1: It's yeah. it's very much a full catastrophe moment because it's just what all of us are actually living with all the time.
2: Yeah.
1: Except louder.
2: <laughs> I guess that's that that's how I that's how I I think that's where I got to and I don't know why I got to it that fast but this is what I do with stuff like this is I looked at it and I couldn't actually find anything that differentiated it from aging. The timeline might be different, but there is no timeline for aging either. It varies from individual to individual. And for Mm -hmm. for myself to come to terms with the fact that this is the body that I'm in and this is my particular set of circumstances, that's where I got to, is Mm -hmm. this is, it was going to be something
0: and this is where it is. Took you two months. I worked on it for about 30 years before that started hitting me. (laughs) I think- I think that,
1: that that sounds totally reasonable to me. 30 years. It totally reasonable.
0: And, you know, I,
2: I think I have to say that one of the things that got me there faster is a sense of perspective because my father died of a brain tumor at 53. It's mm-hmm. like, well, it's not that. <laughs> and um, right. it's so okay. So I'll, he could deal with that. I can deal with this. Yeah. I think that's part of what got me right. where I got to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. S- skill stacking from experiences in life. You know? you, you talked about how it, it um, affected your intimacy or the, created an intimacy gap. Um, would you talk about that a little bit more and specifically how that tied into your sexual connection? Because you have also, I've also heard you all talk about how sex is one of the foundations of your relationship. So yep. talk about that intimacy gap in the context of what you were experiencing. This so I, I have, um,
2: so my my answer to that is that, what I remember of the time, my memory is not great, but what I remember of the time is that that, that lack of of meaning intimacy like the fact that we we weren't on the same page that you were having feelings that I wasn't
0: and vice addressing versa. or
2: experiencing and vice versa and we weren't quite in, in the same emotional space meant that the sex at that time was less creative
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, because so just the physical act of sex has there's a lot of dimensions of a variation of that there's there's a lot of different things that we can and do do together but then there's a whole other level of um emotional intimacy is like too it's it's not a large enough phrase you often use the phrase
1: um overlapping erotic store like yeah realities like and because we were living in very very separate bodies and very separate imaginations yeah. right then right. yes it was really hard to create a story a line like a, an overlapping erotic narrative
2: right. so the sex
1: got really quiet
2: yeah it got so really quiet in, and instead of that overlap that you just described it was more of a bumping up against
1: yeah it it lacked the The layers and the nuance
2: like dimensionality
1: dimensionality it's very flat and that became i think what i focused on i started my my feelings surfaced because i noticed we'd just gotten married our courtship (laughs) had been a freaking disaster it was a train wreck train wreck because of how we got together and yeah, longer story, but it, it, we'd never had a honeymoon period. We'd never had a quiet period and we have seven children together. <laughs> so there wasn't going to be a quiet period. And now we had this and it felt like that thing, our sex was a, a foundational stone in our relationship. It Like it forms a cornerstone because we both, found it to be a place where we could overlap, we could connect, we could also discover new things about each other.
2: We can address and we be things vulnerable. that come up in other situations. We can come up that way. So it was a very cleansing, restorative
1: when everything else would fall apart, we had that. Yeah. And when the MS diagnosis came, we didn't stop having sex, but we stopped using our voices as much. Yeah. And the it was it was notably problematic. Yeah. Like it shows up it showed up in like what I was writing, what I was journaling about at the time. It showed up in the papers I wrote right afterwards because I was in, I was I was finishing my bachelor's degree and I hadn't started grad school. And you could see it. You could see the threads of it. But it did. It didn't. It, that didn't like just fix itself overnight either. That gap. It's not like it just closed. But there was a moment when. We reconciled some of this gap. We reconciled some of the the mess that we'd gotten ourselves into by not sharing, by not yeah. by not having our feelings out loud, and by not knowing how to talk about it. We were having sex um, about well, be, yeah, just about two months afterwards, yeah. in late November, early December um, of 2013, and I broke into a million tears. Just a million tears and said that I I basically tried to give him everything in me. I was like, I need to, I totally tried to martyr myself to his, his being. I was like, okay, just like everyone else, you need me to just sign over my life. I'm gonna cry just talking about it. Like you, I hear you, I see that this has happened. You didn't cause this to happen, but I know what's required here. You need me to give you my life. I
2: do remember that moment because because and, and I understand, particularly in retrospect after the years of relationship we've had, where that comes from. But at the at the time, I was confused. Like, no, that's not that's not how this is going to go.
1: He I, didn't ask me for that. I wasn't
2: asking. No, that's not. I mean, I I wasn't this clear at all because I was trying to figure out what was going on for you. I was trying to understand it. But uh, yeah, in retrospect, like, no, you don't. That's that's not the relationship we have.
1: Right. But it, I I think that that was it was a necessary step in us mm-hmm. finding intimacy together again.
0: Was
2: well, and it, it, it helped break open the the separations that it, it helped cross the divides. Oh,
0: right. When you say it, when you when you say it helped cross, are you talking about her moment of saying, "I know what you need." I'm gonna give you my life. Yes. Is that what you mean by it? Yes. And yeah. it's so, it's so. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that because when you say that I have my own life experiences that like have that story. So tell me what you mean by that.
2: Well, what I mean is um, I saw in that moment that um, there were things I didn't know about. That, the, that there were responses inside her that I wasn't aware of. And I wasn't on board with that response to it. So the only way forward was to start talking about it. And so by her opening up all of that, that allowed me to, to, uh, to interact with all the parts of her. And it inspired me to open up my, the parts of me That I'd been holding back. So it was
1: Oh yeah, I hadn't seen you grieve it. Right. Like he received this diagnosis, processed it cerebrally, and then moved right to like, okay, so this is just what my life is gonna be and okay. He didn't move into problem solving either. It was just sort of an accepted fact, he took it as a as a truth and just like, okay, there. And he seems kind of too okay.
2: In my defense. Which left us really far asked, apart. I didn't know what to grieve. <laughs> I don't know what's going right? to happen. I don't even know. So, um, yeah. And so our different responses to that. So there's you trying to get ahead of it all and to uh, like to plan for how we're going to address the unknown. And in this case, I took it as like, it's so unknown. We'll deal with it when it comes.
1: And there you have the summary of our whole relationship. Yep. I have never dealt with anything just as it comes, and yep. he deals with everything that right. way.
0: <laughs> I love that kind of in depth conversation about it because that is, I don't know, I think it's an important part of my process of, you know, living life in general and certainly living life with a chronic, uh, unknowable condition. That was part one of my conversation with the hosts of the Project Relationship Podcast. Be sure to listen to part two for some extremely thought-provoking and possibly mind-blowing discussions on things like the importance of defining sex with your partner, and then reconciling those different definitions. We also talk about implicit versus explicit communication as it relates to MS symptoms. Now remember to join us on July 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for a live Q&A with these two lovely individuals. Whether you have a chronic condition or not, you are welcome and I guarantee you will walk away with a broader perspective and a greater understanding of how to navigate the complexities of a healthy relationship and sex life. You can find a link to that Zoom meeting on my website at www.msexualhealth.com or on Instagram at msandsex, all one word. Now, if you have MS or another chronic condition and you're interested in taking part in a pilot study on MS and other chronic conditions and kink, please email me at info at msexualhealth.com Now, I want to say here that everyone gets to decide what kink means to them. So if you enjoy any kind of sexual activity that sits anywhere outside the extremely narrow definition of penis and vagina missionary sex, you will have a perspective that will be valuable to this study. Our conversations will be completely anonymous and your experiences, thoughts, and concerns about the topic will help other folks with chronic conditions as they navigate the complexities of chronic illness and sex. Now, additionally, the information that comes out of this research will be of great benefit to healthcare workers as they themselves learn to address sexual concerns for their patients. I look forward to seeing you on July 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for our live Q&A with Jolie and Ken. It is going to be a lot of fun.